welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. continuing a sermon series that we've been in uh, this fall on the, the book of 1 Corinthians, fall, Paul, the Apostle Paul's uh, first letter to a young church in Corinth, trying to help them sort out how they should live uh, as a new church, as a Christian church, uh, in the midst of a pluralistic world, in the midst of a world where their faith uh, put them in a minority position. And we've called this series a cross-shaped community because really all of Paul's advice for them in that uh, is that their lives are to come to take the shape of the cross, uh, the pattern laid down by Jesus of laying down his life in love, going uh, not uh, up in self-righteousness, but down in humility, uh, not up in self-aggrandizement, but down in service and love. And so, um, if you are willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's word together? Our reading today is 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat, in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why, would, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and is given to us in love. I was talking to one of the members of our church who will remain nameless uh, so that you all will continue to talk to me. Uh, he came up and said, you know, I was talking to one of my neighbors uh, this week and I asked him, hey, you know, making conversation, will I see you out uh, for Halloween? What are you and your family doing uh, for, for Halloween? And his neighbor responded, no, we don't celebrate days associated with Satan. Well, this is now an awkward moment between two neighbors. Um, trying to figure out where you go from here in this friendship. But it presses the question, you know, is it okay for a Christian uh, to celebrate Halloween? And you might be thinking, Dave, this sermon would have been more helpful uh, perhaps a week ago. But it's not a sermon about Halloween, uh, but rather about this particular type of question that comes to us in all sorts of different forms. Is it okay for a Christian to blank? Is it okay for a Christian to gamble? 
Is it okay for a Christian to drink? Is it okay for a Christian to vote Democrat? Is it okay for a Christian uh, to vote Trump? Is it okay for a Christian to uh, drink out of a plastic drinking straw? That's now uh, against the law. Uh, is it okay for a Christian to drink coffee that's not fair trade? Is it okay for a Christian to listen to rap music? Is it okay for a Christian to own a gun? The list goes on and on and on. Is it okay for me as a Christian to do blank? And you know, there are some things that the Bible is incredibly clear on and inc incredibly black and white on, but the vast majority of the place where we live our actual lives are in these gray areas, right? Is it okay for a Christian to do blank? As a pastor, I get these kind of questions, and it's never on the black and white er uh, areas. I've never had somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, is it okay for me as a Christian to kill? To, to murder someone, and you go, well, no, we've got one of the Ten Commandments for that, right? That's, there's a clear commandment there. But you will get, and I have gotten the question, Pastor, I'm thinking about enlisting in the military, and I'm going to lose control uh, over where I go and who I use a gun against and, and what lives I'm asked to take. Can a Christian do that? And then you realize, okay, that we are in this gray area where Christians are asked to make moral decisions. Uh, in a world where we're given freedom, Paul has talked about that, that we're no longer under condemnation of the law. We're given liberty as Christians to live our, our lives under the direction of the Holy Spirit and obedience to God and seeking his wisdom. But there are where we actually live our lives, these incredible uh, layers of gray. Well, that's exactly where Paul uh, is working in this section of 1 Corinthians. Right? Uh, if you've been with us the last several weeks, uh, you are probably about ready for us to get out of this three-chapter section where Paul has been talking about an issue that seems obscure to us. Whether or not the Christians in ancient Corinth were allowed to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. He's been on this basic topic for three chapters now. Uh, talking about uh, giving some direction to these Christians on whether or not they should eat meat. Paul's answer uh, is not very satisfying to us, uh, we who like moral certainty and clarity. Essentially, the summary of these three chapters, can a Christian eat meat sacrificed to idols, is it kind of depends. It depends. He starts off with a rather clear uh, situation. He says, let's say you're in the market and you buy some food and you don't know where it came from. And you buy it, you don't know, was it sacrificed to an idol? Was it not sacrificed to an idol? By all means, take it, eat it. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to feel uh, conscience-stricken or anxious about it. Eat the food. Second scenario is, let's say you are invited to a feast in a pagan temple. And as a part of the worship of that pagan deity, of that idol, you eat food that's offered to that idol. Paul says, no, you shouldn't do that. That's, that's idolatry. That's bad. You all need to cut that out. Now he gets to a third one, which is, let's say you're invited over to a friend's house for a meal. Uh, it's, it's likely the feast of a wealthy person because they're serving meat. In the ancient world, only the wealthy were in a position to be able to serve meat. And they bring out some food for you, and you don't really know where it came from. Uh, it was likely sacrificed to an idol. That's the way that meat processing typically worked in the ancient world. It would come in and be sacrificed to an idol, then sold to the market, then sold to you. But you take it, you don't know where it came from, you're a guest, by all means, eat your fill, enjoy your meal. But if somebody else at the feast says, hey, actually, you know that, that meat's been sacrificed to an idol, 
and it's something that's going to trouble or offend them, then Paul says, well, you ought not to eat it then in order to not cause offense to both anyone inside the church or outside the church. And so all that to say, Paul's basic answer is it depends that you're navigating this gray area where there's not a black and white uh, thou shalt not, but you're having to read the situation, read the people around you, know uh, by wisdom what's the right thing to do. You know, all of us need to know how to navigate the complexities of this life when there are no clear-cut answers, right? We need to know uh, how to live our lives in the world with all of its difficulty, with all of its tension, uh, when we don't have turn-by-turn -turn navigation to tell us, do this, don't do that. We need to develop our own uh, inner compass that knows how to follow God uh, in the midst of the gray areas of this world. You know, I mentioned turn-by-turn -turn navigation. About a, week, uh, about a month ago, uh, I was uh, speaking at a conference that was held at a conference center uh, in literally the middle of nowhere in Florida. Uh, it was, I think technically it was a Leesburg address, so if that helps you, uh, more power to you. Um, but I didn't know where that was, and technically this was not in Leesburg. This was in the greater Leesburg metropolitan area. Um, and it was, on a, it was on a lake literally in the middle of nowhere. And so I did what anybody uh, who, uh, you know, lives in this modern era does. I plugged the address into my phone. I set up navigation on my map, and I did not think again about where I was going. I just said, my phone will, my phone will show me the way. And so uh, I drove. You're on 95 South for a little bit, and then you get off, and it's just, I mean, it's two-lane roads the whole way. You're just, you're going, you're turning. You, I don't, at some point, uh, like a a true person that dropped out of Boy Scouts after Cub Scouts, uh, I realized I am lost. I don't know where I'm going. But uh, thanks to the miracle of the iPhone, I got there. I get going back, I plug my home address in the phone and set off on my pilgrimage uh, back to civilization. And I noticed after a while that my phone wasn't uh, telling me to turn. I wasn't getting navigation in what I considered to be a timely manner from my phone. And so I looked down at it, and the map was frozen. And so I looked at the map, and I pressed some buttons. My phone was frozen. So I pulled over. I turned my phone off. I turned it back on, booted back up fine, no service. So I was unable to Google it. I was unable to figure out, uh, get back to my turn-by-turn. -turn. And so I thought to myself, this is it. I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere, Florida, without an iPhone, this is how it ends for me. I guess this is, this is where they'll find me. Um, but then I did notice, I noticed a sign that looked like something I'd seen before as I backed up, and so I made a turn, and then I looked up, and I saw a water tower uh, with a city's name on it, and I recognized it from my drive there. So I had a marker that was over the fields, off in the horizon, that I could say, okay, now I know where north is. I know where, I know where I'm supposed to be going. And so I was able to get back uh, close enough to a cell signal that I got power again, and so my children can grow up with a father. Uh, we, I made it back. But like, like me there in the middle of the Florida wilderness, um, when we don't have turn-by-turn -turn navigation, when we don't have a clear black and white, turn here, do this, do that, we need something that we can see as a marker, something that can help us navigate, something that we can know if I'm just pointed towards this thing, uh, I know that I'll be headed in the right direction. 
I know that even if, if me and some of the people around me disagree on some of the turn-by-turn stuff, because that's what was going on here in Corinth. Some were saying, no, you absolutely can't eat the meat. Others were saying, you've got freedom to eat the meat. And Paul's saying, even if you can't agree on some of these things, if you can keep oriented towards uh, the ultimate destination of your lives, uh, you can sort out uh, the navigation through these gray areas. And Paul tells us uh, clearly and beautifully what the center point, what that navigating element uh, of the Christian life is meant to be. He says this in verse 31. So whatever, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you choose to eat meat, choose not to eat meat. Do all things to the glory of God. However you, however you make your decisions on some of those areas of Christian liberty, Christian freedom, if you seek uh, in your heart and in your mind to set apart the glory of God as the number one thing, loving him, worshiping him, honoring him and all that you do, that the decisions you make in the gray areas uh, will be sorted out in the right way. You know, our confession, our catechism that we uh, confess as a church, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose for which men and women exist in this world? And the answer uh, that our forebears in the faith give us is that the chief end of men and women is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? The purpose for which you are put on this earth, every one of us, married, single, young, old, rich, poor, every single one of us, our purpose is to both glorify God and then to enjoy him, to, to, to by grace, by knowing that we're his, his beloved children, by knowing that he cares for us in Christ, to actually enjoy his love, both in this life and forever. This is a biblical theme that we see throughout the scriptures, right? When Jesus is asked multiple times, uh, what, what's required of, uh, of God's people in the law? He says two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That as you love God, as you come to love your neighbor, if you do those two things, you will not only keep the rest of the law, the rest of the commandments, but you'll also live righteously and faithfully in those gray areas. The author of Proverbs uh, sums it up as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that's not living in terror of God, but living with a kind of reverential, worshipful respect to God. That if you do that, if you honor God, the rest of the, the, rest of the decisions of life, the wisdom areas of life, will flow out of that. St. Augustine uh, once summed up the Christian life. He said, love God and then do whatever you want. Love God and do as you wish. And what he meant wasn't there's only one thing and if you love God, you can get away with all sorts of other stuff. What he meant was if you truly love God and know yourself to be loved by God and you live in, in, in that loving unity with God, as he by, your, by his spirit starts to transform your heart, from selfish to loving, from greedy to generous. As he transforms your heart, all of a sudden your wants will start to be more like his wants. And you can follow uh, faithfully after him. And so Paul sums it up. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all of this to the glory of God. Live your life for his glory. Well, how do we do that? You know, how do, how do we avoid just saying whatever we, justifying any decision we make, anything we do, 
is saying that this decision, you can't critique me because I'm just doing it for the glory of God. Um, well, he tells us, he gives us a few things. First, he points us to the fact that we can, we can glorify God by enjoying the goodness of his created world. We can glorify God by enjoying the world that he's given us. Look at what he says uh, when he says, if stuff's laid before you to eat, you ought to eat it. He quotes Psalm 24. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's this beautifully rich picture of God's creation. It says the whole world belongs to God. And you are God's children. You're his sons and daughters. He created us to be kings and queens of this world under him. And he says, therefore, that you can enjoy this created world that you've been given as a way of glorifying God. That as Christians, we can enjoy the goodness of this life, the beauty of his creation, you know, the beauty of the ocean, the majesty of the mountains, the, the, the beautiful fall air that we walked out to this morning, to inhale it and to take it in and to say, this world that God made is good and it's for us is a way of glorifying God. Eating a good meal with, with good people, with good friendship, is a way for us to glorify and to enjoy God. Paul simply tells us in verse 30 that we ought to do so with thanksgiving, that we ought to enjoy this life and thank the God who gave it to us for it. Right? Oftentimes, this has been an area which the church has been somewhat confused, believing that in order to follow Jesus, it required us to turn our back on the world. Believing that to be a follower of Jesus is to, to deny the pleasures of this world. And there are places in the scriptures, uh, aren't there, where it tells us that friendship with God means enmity with the world, that we do have to turn our back on elements of life in this world, but that doesn't mean the created world. That means the way that humans, through our sin, uh, manipulate the world, twist the world, make the world an occasion for temptation, brokenness, uh, violence. We're to turn our back on that side of the world that would seek to, to, to take advantage of that part of us. But there's a genuine worldliness about the Christian life that's to be embraced, an enjoyment of the good gifts of this world. So I'd like to encourage you to consider something that many of you probably do uh, at least three times a day without thinking of it. Right? Usually uh, in, in Jacksonville, in a, in a southern town like this one, uh, usually when a meal is served, somebody does what? They turn around and say, hey, we ought to, we ought to bless the food. We ought to give thanks to them for this. And so you, whether, no matter how hungry you are, whether you particularly feel like it or not, you bow your head and you pray. And usually that, that prayer over the meal is a kind of perfunctory thing. It's, God, thank you. God, bless the meal. Uh, my children, I'll often ask them to pray, and they can get the prayer before a meal done in less than three seconds. God, thanks for the food, and they're in. But we have so few uh, genuine habits of prayer in our life, right? We all struggle to establish rhythms and habits of prayer, and yet we have this daily liturgy in our lives where most of us stop to pray. What if we uh, took that back in such a way that we prayed genuine and glad prayers of thanksgiving? Prayers that, that you might see fit for a child to, to thank his father or her father for providing the things that they need for life, for providing the, the meal that sustains them, the good food that they eat, the good drinks that they drink. To pray those moments is genuine and honest prayers of thanksgiving rather than uh, rote prayers on the way uh, to the meal. So we can glorify God by enjoying his good creation. Secondly, 
We glorify God by seeking our neighbor's good. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. This, you'll see your, your Bible translation probably puts all things are lawful in quotation marks. This is Paul again repeating what had become one of the catchphrases of the Corinthians. Because of Jesus, because of grace, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, yeah, even if that were true, even, even, even though you are set free, not everything is helpful. Not everything helps the community or the people around you. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul, Paul tells us here that one of the ways that we glorify God is by seeking the good of our neighbors. One of the ways we glorify God is by protecting the dignity and honor and life of his image bearers. Right Of all this creation that God's made, as much as he, he made every bit of it and said over all of it, it's good. That's the refrain of Genesis. He, he made, the, made everything and said it was good. When he made men and women, he said, this is very good. God delights more in your next-door neighbor, as annoying as they might be. He, he delights more in them than he does over the Grand Canyon or Mount Everest. He made them uniquely and wonderfully. And he's saying that one of the ways we glorify God is by loving our neighbors. It's by, by, by seeking not only our good, but their good. When Jesus says that the, the whole of the law, law and the prophets is found in loving God, and loving your neighbor. The second is like it, love your neighbor. It's not a distant second. It's not just love God and yeah, 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 if you have time, love your neighbor too. But no, love God and love your neighbor. And you love God by loving you, your neighbor. You serve God through serving your neighbors. We seek not only our own good, uh, but the good of our neighbors. This really gets at one of Paul's central points in, in the Corinthian letters, which is that you cannot separate your spiritual health from your relational health, right? If I were to come up to you and say, how's your spiritual life going? And you were to say, well, it's going really well. I pray a couple times a day. I read my Bible. I'm, I'm growing in these ways. But your wife won't talk to you because you're such a jerk to live with, right? Or you say, yeah, no, I'm doing great. I'm going to youth group every, every Sunday after church. Things are going well. But yeah, every time my parents tell me to do anything, I roll my eyes and slam the door and run off. Or yeah, you know, things are doing great. I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm growing. I'm learning to share my faith. I'm sharing my faith at work. I'm talking to everybody I know. Nobody will sit with me at lunch anymore. Um, you know, no, people avoid me around the water cooler. Paul's saying here is that you cannot separate a life lived with God in union with Christ for the glory of God from the love of your neighbors, right? That's the whole point of the passage in 1 Corinthians we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter where he says that all these things, wisdom and knowledge and, and zeal, all these things will pass away, but love, love is the measure of the Christian. Love is the measure of a heart being changed by the love of God. And so we can glorify God by seeking uh, not only our own good, but our neighbor's good uh, above our own. In fact, here Paul says you should lay down your rights. You've got the right to eat meat. You've got the right to partake of that, but if it offends one of your neighbors... If it causes some sort of scandal for them, you ought to forego your freedoms, your right to do what's right for them, to do what's loving for them. And then finally, uh, he shows us that the ultimate way that we give glory to God in our lives is as we live our lives uh, in the pattern of Jesus, 
Look at how he ends. Uh, it's chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Listen, this is what Paul's saying. He says, we, there's a natural question. If I live my life for the glory of God and for the good of my neighbor, right, in a world in which everybody is looking after their own interests, in a world where everybody's trying to climb the ladder and kick the people on the way down, in a world where everybody's looking out mostly for themselves, if I seek the glory of God and the good of my neighbor, what's going to happen to me? What's going to become of my life if I really lay it down in that kind of way for God and for my neighbors? And Paul says, well, your life is going to start to look a little bit like my life. Remember, Paul was somebody who was imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, abused for his faith, who gave up immense amounts of his own freedom so that uh, the non-Israelites, the Gentiles, would come to know God. He was somebody who ultimately died uh, for his faith. And he said, your life will start to look my life and, like my life, and my life is starting to look like Jesus' life. And we know how Jesus' life turned out. Right? As he lived a life solely oriented around the love of God his Father and around love for us, his neighbors, right? his brothers and sisters, as he gave his life to the point of, of giving it on the cross so that we could have life. Paul says, you'll, know, you'll start to know really what it looks like to, to live a life for the glory of God when your life starts to look less like the pursuit of your own glory and more like a crucifixion, more like you're laying down your life, your rights, your privileges in love for the people around you, for your neighbors, for your enemies even. It takes an incredible amount. Um, you know, over and over in his letters, Paul has this thing that he does where he encourages people to imitate him in his Christian life. He tells us earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, this is the thing that he teaches in all of the churches, my way of life in Christ. And as a minister, that's more than a little intimidating, uh, right? I, 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 I'm comfortable and, and think it's important to share my life, my weaknesses, my sin transparently with you all. It's much harder to say, you know what, if you want to know how to be a Christian, you ought to try to follow me. You ought to try to make your life look like my life looks. To us, with our, with our cultural ears, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? For somebody to say, if you want to learn how to live a good and godly life, be like me. Until we remember that for Paul, it's always the way of humility. right? It's not a self-aggrandizing, self-righteous, if you want to be like Jesus, follow me. It's a humble I am the chief of sinners. I am the, the biggest sinner I know. And I'm learning to cling to Jesus, to cling to the love of my Father for my life, for my hope. I'm learning to hold the rest of my life more and more loosely. And in the midst of that, as I lay down my life to serve my, my neighbors, to serve my God, my life is starting to look uh, more and more like the pattern of life that my Savior laid down before me. Dwight Moody, who is a great evangelist of the last century, preached to thousands upon thousands of people in the U.S. and abroad, said this. He said, of 100 men, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. Most of the world is looking to decide whether or not Jesus can be trusted. Scary thought. At the quality of life uh, of Christians. And we do them no favors uh, when, we, when, when, to, when in thinking we point to Jesus, we say, look at us. 
right? If you want to know how to be good and perfect and sinless and self-righteous and raise perfect kids and have the perfect family and all that, do it like us. But when we start to go the way that Paul points us to, of saying we are the chief of sinners, we need Jesus more than anybody we know, then it starts to actually be something that's a, a winsome invitation to follow Jesus. That's the way that we point to him. It's the way we point to him in our families and in our streets. You know, we, we just uh, baptized little Indiana. Um, and for all of the good teaching uh, that we hope that Indiana receives, both through this church, at home, the main place that he is going to catch the aroma of Jesus is through the people that he sees. Through his mom and dad, first of all, uh, and through the people around him. And the reason, uh, probably the main reason that teenagers uh, end up abandoning the faith, sobering thing to think about on the day of a baptism, uh, isn't because they didn't hear it taught. It's not because they didn't learn the right answers in Sunday school. Uh, it's because it seemed, uh, it seemed to work for everybody else in a way that it just doesn't seem to work for them. You know, it seems real for mom and dad. They seem, they seem pretty well perfect. They seem to know their thing. They never, they never seem to be wrong. They always seem to be right. Jesus seems to work for them, but he doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't have that level of confidence or answers. I still struggle. May, there must be something else. The greatest service we can do for our children, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for all of it, is not to pretend something's working for us that's honestly not working, but to confess we are the biggest sinners we know. We need Jesus. Mom and dad need Jesus. Brothers and sisters need Jesus. Co-workers, friends, and neighbors. All of us need Jesus. And that's how we walk together, limping uh, to the foot of Jesus' cross and find our lives looking more and more like his. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, each one of us uh, in various and countless ways is navigating uh, the terrifying gray areas of this world. And so, Lord, when we don't know what to do, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, when we're not quite sure what you're making of us and what you're up to in our lives, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would keep our eyes on your glory, honoring you in all that we do, and that we, as painful as it might be, would come to delight in the fact that we are being made to look more like Jesus as we lay down our rights, as we lay down our pride, as we cling to the grace of the cross, Lord, help us to be able uh, to say to our neighbors, uh, look at our lives, not because they're perfect, uh, but because as broken and as flawed as we are, uh, Jesus calls us saints. He calls us his beloved. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.